5, starting in verse 41, ending in verse 44, uh, the Lord Jesus says this, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Uh, This is God's word, brothers and sisters in the Lord. Uh, This really, this question that the Lord Jesus leaves the religious elite certainly can be turned to this own generation, our own generation, can it? I'll repeat what the Lord Jesus asks. Verse 44, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? In other words, how is it that someone can have saving faith? Uh, How is it possible that anyone can have saving faith as they invoke the glory that comes from one another, that comes from other people, and what do they do? They abandon the glory that comes from God himself, who is himself the Lord of glory. How? How can someone believe under under those circumstances? How how is that possible? It's kind of a morose, uh, kind of a gloomy accusation that the Lord Jesus puts in the form of a question to these uh, religious uh, elites who are accusing him. Uh, and, And he asks this question that really cuts to the heart of everyone who seeks praise Uh, everyone who seeks admiration in all the wrong places, when the glory of people, when the glory of other people suffices for the glory that is to be received from God, how is it possible, working and acting on all, all to our own, unaided by the Holy Spirit, right? how is it possible that someone working all on their own can believe to the saving of our souls? How's that possible? How's that possible? In other words, when we abandon the categories that are given to us by God as we're made in his image, and we abandon the one who has made us, and we abandon the one who knows us, he knows what's best for us, we abandon everything that he says about us, what happens is that we abandon the only real way to make sense of the world. And we also make shipwreck of the world to come. And what happens with this is that we start studying a little bit. So when we abandon the Lord God who made us, when we abandon the categories given to us by God, when we neglect the image of God, when we seek glory from other people uh, rather than the glory that comes from the only God, what happens when, when we do this is we become fabricators. Uh, we become uh, designers, we become creators of ourselves, we become manufacturers. That is, we manufacture, we fabricate for ourselves our own made-up rights. We give ourselves our own privileges, our own prerogatives, and then we encourage each other to do likewise. Hey, you know, do whatever makes you happy. I heard someone say that the other day to, uh, to a child, uh, which, ironically, I stopped for a second and thought, Boy, isn't that what we hear in our intellectual, uh, basically our TED Talks nowadays? Uh, do whatever makes you happy, and they just kind of garnish it with, uh, with, with flavorful words and stuff like that. But we encourage each other, once we abandon the glory that comes from the only God, what we do is we encourage each other to just you know, be the best you that you could possibly be, not knowing that this way of thinking 
uh, has within it uh, way more seeds of discord than the devil can ever sow by himself. This way of thinking has with it all the ingredients not only to destroy ourselves, uh, as we're seeing in our very society, uh, but also to cut off any possibility of remediation, uh, to cut off the way back, uh, to cut off any way of healing, uh, any way of uh, treatment so that we can come back to our senses and start seeking the glory that comes from the only God, as the Lord Jesus is saying about right here in this passage. This is the question that Jesus has for the religious elites. Uh, They're accusing him of blasphemy. If you take a look at verse 18 in the chapter, they're accusing him for, as, uh, as, as being a blasphemer for making himself equal with God. And this entire chapter from that point on is a response to that accusation. In verses 19 through 47, he expands upon this idea of equality with God. He ends up turning the tables uh, on a number of uh, different occasions back to the people who accuse him. And this part of his expansion, verses 41 through 44, uh, that we're looking at tonight, this part right here even has within it a poetic element uh, to it uh, as, as well. You'll notice that our passage has a kind of a poetic feature, if you take a look at these, uh, these verses, it starts and ends with glory that is received or that is not received. And right in the middle, in verse 43, so verses 41, 42, and verse 44, talks about glory that is received or not received. And right smack dab in the middle, verse 43, you'll notice, speaks of people who are received or not received. And so you see the poetic element of, of this, and this is what makes this passage uh, a little complex, not confusing, but complex to, uh, to get to know of. And if you kind of get lost in, in the sermon, that's okay, we record them, uh, and uh, this is what makes for the complexities of the Word of God. And the implication here, brothers and sisters, is that there's a connection between receiving glory, receiving people, And the payoff of all this, there's a connection here between receiving glory, receiving people, and what's the payoff of all this? And it has to do with Jesus then accusing the religious elites of placing their trust and their confidence in all the wrong places to their own detriment. And to their own detriment and their souls, of course, in this age and the age to come. And so ours is a kind of a complicated passage that we're going to be unpacking tonight. And we'll have this as our going theme that's written In your bulletins, Jesus confronts the religious elite's fondness for human praise and the neglect of the praise of God. And we're just going to ask these. It's it's always easiest to ask questions of complicated uh, passages. Uh, And so you'll see those questions that uh, that I've put right there. Point one, what is received? Point two, who is received? And point number three, how is it received? You can say that those are questions. But we come to the first question on what is received. Uh, well, exactly what is received, we can look at our passage and we can say that there's essentially two items that are received in this uh, passage. What things are received? Well, the first of them is glory. The first of them is glory. Uh, you'll see this in verse 41 and verse 44. Jesus says very simply in verse 41, uh, ironically, of something that is not received, right? Uh, Jesus says, I do not receive glory from people. I do not receive glory from people. Now, what he means in saying this is a couple of things. Firstly, within the passage, 
he means to counter the priorities of the religious elite. He means to counter the priorities and the prerogatives of the people who are accusing him. He's saying to them that he doesn't need the praise of man. He doesn't need the glory of man like they do. He contrasts his accuser's way of thinking about themselves with his own. Remember, if you look at verse 39, uh, he contrasts himself with, uh, with his accusers. They rely upon their study. They rely upon their smarts. Uh, they repl- re- re- rely upon their goodness, upon their intellect, and their long-standing traditions for their sufficiency. Jesus doesn't. He doesn't at all. He doesn't receive the glory. He doesn't receive glory from people like they do. It's in opposition to his, uh, his, his opponents there. Secondly, he means to tell them something about himself. Uh, that he, being God, right, he takes the very weight of the accusation and he wears it as a badge of honor. Yes, he is equal with God, and so he is going to counter uh, them, his, his opposition, in like fashion as though that's, this is exactly what he believes. So in a sense, you can look at, uh, at this when we see when Jesus says, I do not receive glory from people. Well, what else do you think God would, would otherwise say? He doesn't receive glory from uh, people. It means to say something about himself, that he is in and of himself sufficient for his own glory. In fact, we've already read this in the Gospel of John, that he is sufficient for his own glory. Not only is he sufficient for his own glory, John 1 verse 14 explicitly says that in his incarnation we have seen his glory. Uh, the glory of the one God from the Father, full of grace and truth, and that even these signs that he does, the miracles that Jesus does, you'll read in chapter 2, verse 11, uh, they don't cause people to glorify him, right? What, what does it say? It says that they manifest his glory. That's what uh, John 2, verse 11 says. These signs manifest his glory. Later on uh, in chapter 17, in about 10 years when we get there, uh, what does Jesus pray? He prays, glorify me, O Father, with the same glory that I had with you before the world began. So not only is he opposing his accusers, right? He's also taking exactly what their accusation is and internalizing it for himself. He does not receive glory from people. Now, that's not to say that we can't glorify him and enjoy him forever, but it's saying that having glory does not depend upon people's ability to give it to him. Uh, You could read Acts chapter 19, uh, where Greco-Roman theology is the exact opposite that they need the glory of their worshipers in order to maintain the glory for themselves. Jesus does not receive glory from people. Contrary to this, Jesus' accusers, when we ask uh, what is received, verse 44, they receive glory from one another. Now, many other places in the Gospels tell us this. They they essentially say this, uh, this same thing. So it doesn't there, there is no need for that, that I have in order to bear this out, to prove this uh, to you. I don't think I have to prove it to you very much, that they receive glory from one another. They, they, they seek that from one another. Uh, just very quickly from Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus says that the hypocrites, of course, he's speaking of the religious elite, uh, what do they do? When they give, well, what, they, they sound the trumpet. Uh, they, they make sure that their coin hits this, uh, this, this trumpet-looking drum thing so that everybody knows that they're giving X amount of dollars 
to the service of the temple. When they pray, uh, they don't pray in their, uh, in, in their closet or something like that in, in, in secret. They pray on the street corners, and, and they elevate their eloquence so that they can be seen by others and admired by others. When they fast, the Lord Jesus says that they disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be seen by others. Matthew 23, Jesus says that they sit on Moses' seat, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, and they shut the kingdom in people's faces. They seek the glory of other people. They receive it, which is another way of saying that they receive false glory. Uh, the glory and the praise that is only generated by man, that's sustained by man. So what is not received and what is received? Glory. Secondly, what is received is knowledge. Knowledge. This might be a little difficult to perceive from the passage, but it comes after a third or fourth glance. Knowledge is what is received in some sense of the term by both the religious elite and Jesus. For the religious elite, it's their knowledge of their status before God. We can also say it's their false knowledge of their status before God. They think of themselves so highly, they think of themselves as so elite that they know that they are in God's graces. Why? Well, as we've already seen, because of their knowledge of the scriptures, uh, because of their great knowledge, uh, by the way, their knowledge of the scriptures, we're going to come back to in the very next sermon. And if you read their literature, by the way, it's a very convoluted, very incredibly complex uh, way of interpretation for sure. But they think that they're on God's good side, that they're in God's graces because of how well they study. Verse 39, as we said before, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Knowledge of God's grace that is founded upon what? Their, Their ability to interpret. That's what it's founded upon. Uh, but I think experience will determine this, of course, to be true. If you've, uh, if, if you've ever found yourself in this position, there is no one that is harder to evangelize. Uh, absolutely nobody that is harder to evangelize than a person who knows that they're saved, but they're really not. <clears throat> They have all the good works to to back themselves up. They have the accolades. They have the resume. They they have everything uh, on their side according to worldly wisdom that will earn them favor in the kingdom of God. I submit to you, brothers and sisters, there is no one harder to evangelize than someone who thinks that they are a Christian, and yet they're not. There is no one harder to evangelize. In fact, over against this false knowledge of the religious Jews and their dependence upon themselves, uh, Jesus says this chilling statement in verse 42. Uh, Jesus, in defiance of their false knowledge, he says, I know that you do not have the love of God within you. That should send chills up the spine of all of the readers that are present here. That the Son of God has now just made a knowledge claim that is so perceptive that, it only, that only God can actually make that knowledge claim. It requires someone to have absolute omniscience. Jesus says, I know that you do not have the love of God within you. The Son of God just made a claim about what's in their hearts. He's able to perceive uh, what is in their hearts. John chapter 2, the end of John chapter 2, says God, that Jesus knows what is in man. And he's, of course, em- uh, employing that ability to know what is in man, to look at his accusers and say, I know 
you do not have the love of God in your hearts. His knowledge is that the love of God is not within them. This could be taken to mean, uh, of course, in the Greek, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, phrase. It could mean that there is no love of God within them that goes out from them to God, which does make sense. It could also be understood that there is no love that God has for them coming to them in a redemptive way, which also makes sense. Either way, uh, it almost uh, doesn't matter for our purposes. What is received is knowledge. Uh, For them, for the religious elite, it's this false pseudo-knowledge of their condition. And for Jesus, it's the true knowledge of their status before God. So what's received? Glory. Uh, Of course, what's not received? Glory. Uh, What's received? Uh, Knowledge. Whether it's pseudo-knowledge or true knowledge, glory and knowledge are what is received in this small passage. Now let's move on to our second question. Who is received? Who is received? Now, when the passage answers the question, who is received, we look firstly, again, uh, ironically, at who's not received. Jesus says in verse 43, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. So who's not received uh, by the religious elite is Jesus. He comes in his Father's name, and just as we've said in the previous sermons, uh, Jesus uh, does come in his Father's name, and they still reject him. They still reject him. Now, the phrase, take a look at the phrase, uh, I have come in my Father's name. This, uh, this phrase, coming in my Father's name, there's, means a number of things. It means that, uh, that Jesus, number one, bears the reputation of his Father. That's one of the key uh, ideas. That's one of the key meanings that this, uh, this phrase, uh, come in the name of, uh, carries throughout the entire Bible, to be a substitute for someone's reputation. We, it, we, we do this Almost every time that we pray, right, we pray, the end of our prayer is in Jesus' name. What we're doing is we're invoking, we're calling down upon ourselves the blessing of Jesus' reputation. We don't want to pray in our reputation. We want to pray in the sanctified reputation of Jesus, the Lord Jesus. Name means reputation. It also means that Jesus comes to them then as one who is united to the person of his father as well. This uh, speaks of the eternal union of the father and the son, that the father and the son is, is eternally united. So he comes to them with the father's person. So not only his name, but also his, his person. It also means that Jesus comes to them, as we've been seeing for a while, having his father's works as well. So his, his reputation, his person, and his works as well. In other words, uh, Jesus uh, is just, take a look at uh, earlier passages in verses 36 and uh, verse 37. Jesus is uh, just doing the works that his father has given to him. Jesus is doing the works that his father uh, has given to them. In other words, these works that Jesus does, and in the Gospel of John, we've only looked at a few of them, these works that Jesus does, they look like the Father's works. They, they sort of act and correspond uh, to the Father's works. They have a similar purpose uh, to the flow of redemption as the works of the Father. They seem to f- follow a similar pattern that the Jews should be familiar with. And so when he comes to them in his Father's name, he comes to them with his Father's works And even though they're the ones who were supposed to recognize it, they're the ones who reject him. This is a rejection, therefore, of God and his Messiah, both God and of his Messiah. And, of course, we're going to read on 
further in the Gospel of John to see their extent of their rejection of God and the Messiah when at his trial uh, they convict him, of course, in a kangaroo court for being guilty for crimes that he's not actually guilty of, and then they crucify the Lord of glory. So what is not received? Who has not received Jesus? Jesus is not received. Secondly, who is received? Who is received? The end of verse 43 says, If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. That will, by the way, is future. Um, that's a, uh, you could say it's a prophetic uh, sort of uh, thing that's, uh, that's going on there. It's not saying that, yeah, if someone comes, yeah, you might receive him. No, Jesus is declaring, no, you definitely will receive this person who comes in his own name. Now, just like what Jesus said before about him coming in the name of his father, uh, here the meaning gets carried over quite similarly as well. To come in their own name means essentially that they look for someone who is an extension of themselves. They look for someone who is an extension of themselves so that the way that this other pseudo-Messiah looks, the way that he looks, is the exact way that they want him to look. Whatever this guy says is exactly what they want him to say. Whatever he does is exactly what they want him to do. Basically what they mean there, what Jesus means here, is that the only person that they will receive is someone who is a better and more idealized version of themselves. It means that instead of coming with the Father's reputation, they come having a reputation similar to their own ideals. Maybe they're thinking of a great military figure. Uh, This is what the Jews are looking for in a Messiah. Uh, They're looking for a great military figure, maybe a a, a religious person, a righteous religious person. Uh, This is another uh, idea of the uh, Messiah in terms of Judaism in in those days. Maybe, Maybe it's a wealthy person. Maybe it's a very powerful person have the reputation of a very wealthy, have a uh, reputation of a powerful person. That's the guy who they're looking for, someone who has a reputation of themselves. To come in their own name means that instead of coming with the father's person, they come as a person similar to their own ideals, like a king, like a prophet. How about like a great high priest? I mean, there's two of them that are ruling at this, uh, this point. There should only be one. But there's two of them de facto that are uh, ruling at this uh, point in time. And to come in their own name means that instead of coming with the Father's works, this guy who they're looking for is going to come with works similar to their own ideals. So what are those works? Well, to get rid of the Romans. That's what they're looking for to get rid of those, uh, those Romans, to establish the kingdom of God, to establish uh, the, the kingdom with themselves at the top. That's what they want to do. The, how about this? Maybe they, they want to have workings in the temple, right? To own and work the temple their entire time. To come in the name of, of, of them, themselves means to have works similar to the ones that they want to observe. To come, to, to come in their own name means that they want to run the temple forever, unimpeded to bring the kingdom of God upon the earth by conquest, maybe by good works. This is another way of saying that they're ready to embrace any one of the cadre of false messiahs who come in their own name, the primary one being the person in the mirror. So who is received? Well, anyone else other than the true messiah. Now, putting this together, brothers and sisters, I want us to see an irony here. 
I want us to see that this is an, there, there's an irony here that we'll practice in a moment about who is received and who is not received. Jesus not being received, but the person coming in their own name is received. We can see an irony in this. And I think that the passage is written in a way, and I think the Lord Jesus has spoken in a way for us to, to, to be forced to recognize this. We know that there is a great difference between what is apparent and what is real, between what is on the surface on the one hand and what is below the surface on the other. We know that through the eyes of faith that what we see by appearances is not always true to reality. In other words, I'll I'll spell it for you this way. Uh, By all appearances, it seems as though the religious elite are the ones who are received. By all appearances. And Jesus is the one who's rejected. I mean, after all, they're they're, they're the ones in authority. They even use that authority uh, to charge Jesus for blasphemy. They're the ones who live a good life. They're the ones who live a righteous life. They're well-respected. They're knowledgeable. Doubtless, they're eloquent as well. But by all appearances, it seems as though the religious elite are the ones who are embraced and received. And look at Jesus. Apparently, he is the one who is rejected. Apparently, he is the one who is rejected. He's accused for blasphemy. He's on trial. He's giving his defense. He's fallen out of favor with them. And he's, of course, going to do so more later. He's going to be crucified for them later. Uh, it seems, by all appearances, from everything that we can see, uh, that the religious elite are the ones received and Jesus is the one rejected. But I think we need to level with reality here. Look at who Jesus is. Jesus is actually the one who's received. They're actually the ones who are rejected. This forces us to decipher between what is apparent and what is real. Jesus bears the name of his Father. Uh, eternally. Jesus is the one who not only expresses the love of God, he is the love of God incarnate. He looks like his father, he acts like his father, his works resemble his father, he renders his, father ju- his father's judgment, uh, verses 25 and following. Far be it from anyone to say that Jesus is not the actual one who is received. The religious elite are really the ones who are rejected. We know this through eyes of faith. We can perceive this through eyes of faith. The religious elite can't do this because they have no eyes of faith. They have no uh, mechanism by which to determine what is apparent and decipher that from what is real. Calvin says at this point that Jesus is too great to depend upon the opinions of men for the hostility of the entire world can take nothing from him or make the slightest infringement upon his high rank. So all this to say, never be deceived, never be duped, Never be taken captive by mere appearances with regard to the promises of God. Never be, uh, be duped by mere appearances. Appearances may count for something, but they don't count for everything. Appearances may count for something, but they don't count for everything. Never be deceived by what appearances, even the, by, by the appearances uh, that, that, uh, that seem to manipulate us that are in our own hearts. And by the way, speaking of Calvin, Uh, One of his famous lines is that our hearts are idol-making factories. So even what is apparent apparent can be given to us. Don't be deceived by appearances. Our conscience is captive to the word of God, which shows us Christ, and in him we have life. So we've seen thus far what is received, glory and knowledge. We've seen who is received, well, not Jesus, or the one who comes in his father's name, but the one who comes in his own name. But really, through the eyes of faith, we can see that those things are swapped. Okay, now we move on to our last question. How is it received? 
how is it received? And there's really one simple way to answer this question. We looked at receiving glory, receiving knowledge, receiving the one who comes in his Father's name. And Jesus gives us the answer right off the bat in verse 44, as we looked at in the beginning of the sermon. How can you, what? Believe. How can you believe? In other words, belief is the thing that receives all these things. Faith is the apparatus of taking what's held out to you by God. Uh, Faith is that sole instrument through which whatever God has held out to you is made your own. Trust is what receives the things of God. It's what receives the promises of God for us. We, pe- we preach a gospel of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We seek and re- we receive God's glory. How? By embracing the Son of Man by faith, by resting and receiving Christ alone as he's offered to us in the gospel. It is a rejection. It is a gospel of rejection of self-sufficiency and an admission of Christ's sufficiency. Paul says in Ephesians 2, that by faith we are raised up with Christ and we are seated in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, even now. Even now. Faith receives this. We receive even God's glory. We receive his name by confessing the goodness of Jesus. Revelation 22 verse 4 says this, They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. When we get to the book of Revelation... I'll draw a contrast between the number of the beast that is on the foreheads and the name that is on the foreheads of those who have faith in the Lord Jesus. That's on purpose right there. You receive a name that is with you forever. What, what, what happens is through faith alone, by faith alone, his reputation becomes yours. Uh, God looks at you no longer as one who bears your own reputation, which is basically dirt. He sees you as his very son, as his very daughter, You're in the family now. You've got the family name. All of heaven smiles upon you because you have the name of Christ upon you. You've got the family name. Uh, You're in the family now. You've received it by faith. So too we receive our true knowledge of ourselves by by admitting all that God has, has to say of us. Not only by admitting it, but agreeing with it. This is what faith does. Faith looks at the entire counsel of God and says, yes, I agree with that. I agree, and because I agree with that, I love. That's what faith does. It looks at everything that God has to say about us and says, yes. Because of that, I love, and I love a lot. Faith is what receives all these things, and the beauty is that even this faith is given to us by God. On the contrary, the rest of the verse gives us the, the opposite, doesn't it? If faith receives what God has for us, unbelief rejects all of this. We end where we started, where Jesus asks, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? God offers these gifts to us. We receive them by faith. It's only fitting, therefore, that unbelief fabricates counterfeits. False glory is received by rejection of God and embracing the praise of men. Hence, they receive glory from one another and they don't seek it from God. A false name is gained and received by trying to be a good person outside of Christ. Hence, they'll reject anyone who comes in the name of the Father and embrace one with ideals like their own 
because they're cut from the same cloth. They want a Messiah that looks like them. And false knowledge about yourself is what is received through self-deception. Because of this, they assume that the love of God is within them, when all the while they reject the very one by whom it comes. And it's a sad and trembling question that the Lord Jesus asks that ends this particular portion of his expansion upon his claims. So if we've received, we've seen that Jesus confronts the religious elite's fondness for human praise and neglect of the praise of God. And of course, as you can imagine, there's a lot of ways that we can apply this, and I'll only give us a couple of here. Uh, Firstly, brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, uh, you do have the love of God within you. Uh, If you embrace the things of God by faith and everything that Jesus accuses the religious elite of, you are the opposite of what verse 42 says. You are the opposite of verse 42 in both senses. In the sense that the love of God comes uh, from within you and the love of God dwells within you. That the love of God both uh, proceeds from you and comes to you. You are the one who is embraced in Christ because everything that was required of you is filled out by him. He's come in his Father's name, and you've been made to seek that glory that is from the only God. You receive of his glory, you bear his name, you're a part of his work. He's yours, and you're his forever. If you're in Christ, you do have the love of God within you. Secondly, seek the glory that comes from God and not the glory that comes from people. Seek the glory that comes from God not the glory that comes from people. The glory that comes from people is something that is consistently warned against in Scripture. Don't seek the glory that comes from people. Of course, it's no different here. In fact, here it's assumed that seeking glory from people is a sin that entraps the one that commits it. It's like a barbed uh, wire. I just recently went uh, went fishing. We had to uh, flatten our barbs because of various uh, reasons. But once you got that hook in the fish, it's very difficult to get it out without causing more, uh, more and more damage. Seeking the glory of men, needing it, and setting it against the glory that comes from God is taking what is apparent and replacing it with what is real. It feels good to seek the glory of men because it scratches exactly where we itch in our fallen nature, but in so doing, it suggests that we are sovereign when we're actually not when God really is. This is the culture that we live in. We even have churches that are given over to this idea, thinking that this way um, is the way to go. We can draw a lot of people this, uh, this way. We can, uh, we can create uh, in, entire systems and put upon itself uh, 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 quibs that nobody would, uh, would disagree with. Thinking this way has basically set up a view of the world that can destroy the society in which we live from within. And seeking the glory of men, by the way, doesn't have to come from others. It doesn't have to come from other people. If we really take inventory of this, it can refer to yourself as well. Seeking the glory that comes from people uh, might have to do with your very person. Others might not be your enemy. Maybe your enemy is the person within the mirror. Maybe you're the type to be great within your own eyes. Maybe the power that you seek to wield is your glory. And so you seek the glory of the person in the mirror. We're to be on guard against this all the time. We're to be on guard against this. We're to seek the glory that comes from the only God whose very habitation is his glory. We're to not seek our own glory. We're to seek the glory that comes from the only God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do give you thanks and praise.